Thanks for joining us online for today's message from our Sunday morning service, where we are learning how to make disciples who love God, love others, and serve the world. We pray that you are encouraged and challenged. For more information about Wilmot Center Missionary Church, go to wcmc.ca. Now prepare your hearts for what God wants to speak to you today. Over the last while, our theme has been Better Together, and today I'd like to share Better Together at Christmas. And uh, before I continue, I'd like to register my disclaimer. I admit I unashamedly use pictures of my family because it's Christmas together. And what better way to have Christmas than together with your own family? I would like to encourage you this morning that whatever you're going through and whatever problems you're facing, there's always hope because God's got it. Christmas has become a huge economic event. And every year it becomes more complex and probably distorted. A far cry from the simple roots in the manger in Bethlehem. Every year at Christmas, Carmen says to me, Otto, don't be such a Grinch. In some ways, I guess I am like a Grinch. But on the past Saturday, Pastor uh, Steve Fleming at the Combined Men's and Women's Breakfast summed up and put into words what I'd been feeling, but I never knew how to express it. He said, sometimes as Christians, we're afraid to celebrate because Christmas, or as some call it, Xmas, has become so polluted with the traditions and trappings of the world that we don't want to celebrate. We don't want to identify with the polluted view of Christmas. However, as believers, I realize we have a responsibility to show the world how to celebrate properly in a way that brings out the true meaning of Christmas and gives glory and honor to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. My wife loves to celebrate with the family. And often I'm like, ah, come on. Or like uh, Tim Allen. (laughs) But she goes ahead and does it anyway, bless her soul. And I go along reluctantly because I'm smart. I don't, I don't bite the hand that feeds me. I have to admit, I wind up enjoying it. How do I get this moving here? I can't see it back there. Maybe that's the problem. We don't want to compromise and fall into the trappings of the world. But the legacy we leave behind with our family, church, and community is so important to the next generation. Back in October, my son James spoke on the legacy that we leave behind as believers. And when it comes to Christmas, I realize we also build a legacy with our family, church, and community. As believers, we leave a legacy behind us, And how our children relate to God, the family, and the community is a part of our legacy. Other people and lives we've touched are also part of our legacy. Each one of us comes to church here with a different story, and we also bring a different Christmas experience. Some will say, 
Yes, it's great to be together at Christmas. We celebrate together. We exchange gifts. We eat turkey. And we just enjoy being with the family. That pretty well has been my Christmas experience from year to year, despite being called the Grinch. However, there are those who dread Christmas because for them, it brings back unpleasant memories of a dysfunctional celebration. Family feuds, fights, drinking, abuse. To some, it means ornaments, decorations, Christmas trees, to others, presents, to some, feasting, turkey, dinners, eggnog, caroling, to others, holidays and sleeping in, to some, Christmas Eve service and candlelight. In Canada, snow A, winter sports, hockey, snowmen, snowballs, and of course, the endless Christmas selfies. To some, however, it is a time of loneliness, hunger, poverty, bitterness, no gifts, no decorations, rejection, and even desperation. I believe the idea of better together at Christmas revolves around four major concepts. These are our relationship with our Heavenly Father through His Son and His Word, our relationship with our family and extended family, our relationship with the church body, and our relationship with our community. Today, because of time constraints, I'll give you the Reader's Digest condensed version and break it down into two concepts, our relationship with our Heavenly Father and our relationship with others. 1 Corinthians 12.12 shows us how we fit together. Just as a body, though one, has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. You are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. The basis of our foundation together starts with and is sustained by our love and our relationship for our Heavenly Father. If we don't love God first, foremost, with all our heart, then we cannot effectively love others and serve the world in a way that Christ would have us do. Our motives will be compromised and we will just become well-meaning humanitarians or a well-meaning humanitarian organization. There's absolutely nothing wrong with that because we need people who are willing to help. But man gets the praise and not God. We can become self-serving and succumb to the accolades of man. Our character and integrity may deteriorate and we begin to compromise our vision and ultimately the truth of God's word. Smith Wigglesworth once said, 
Compromise is the tool of the devil. Jesus tells us how to relate to the Father in his word. I'm going to uh, be bringing up uh, quite a few scriptures, and I would like to ask the ladies and then the men, and I'll let you know, to read alternately. That way we can become involved. And some of the scriptures I'm not going to explain because I believe uh, the word often is self-explanatory. It's anointed, and as God speaks to us, we understand what he is saying. Uh, ladies, would you start, please? Luke ten twenty-seven. Yes. Men, First Timothy one five. Which comes from Ladies John fourteen twenty three Men Hebrews eleven six. And ladies, John fourteen twelve. You know, I think the ladies get an A plus, the men B minus. How are we supposed to do all this? It can only be done in the power of the Holy Spirit. Men. Do we really believe God's word and what it says? Do we truly believe that we will receive power to be his witnesses unto the ends of the earth when the Holy Spirit comes on us? Reinhard Bonke, the great evangelist of this century, I would venture to say that he, together with Billy Graham, have been instrumental in bringing millions of souls in an end-time harvest to Christ. He has seen incredible miracles and was once quoted as saying something like this. People would often ask God to give them power. And he said, this might be what God is thinking. Now, God is thinking with a German accent, if you know Reinhard Mönke. So, you ask me for power? Why do you need power to do nothing? If we love God, we must also love his word. God's word is powerful and anointed, and the truth will set us free. Ladies. And men, John eight thirty one and 32. Men, John 
I venture to say that there are two parts to truth. The written word scripture is truth. And Jesus, the living word, is also truth. So you can't have one without the other. The Pharisees tried that and it didn't work. Ladies, would you read Matthew twenty-two twenty-nine? Our love for God, our Father, and Jesus, our Savior and Lord, is directly proportionate to our commitment to prayer, studying his word, and obeying his commands. Imagine for a moment that your picture is up there with you and your family, and then you and your church. Those are probably two of the hardest areas to minister in and to. Our family knows us at our worst and our best. And often the scriptures say a prophet is not accepted in his hometown. In our family and church is where God rubs off the sharp corners, the hard edges, and teaches us grace, humility, tenderness, honesty, integrity, unconditional love, acceptance, kindness, faith, and Christ-likeness. In our family and church is where God prepares us to be ready to minister to the world. Many of the same principles that apply in our relationship to our family and our church also apply as we relate to our community. Men, would you please read John thirteen thirty four and 35. Ladies, Ephesians 4, 2. And ladies, would you also read Galatians 5, 6. We need to teach, show, and live a Christ-filled life in front of our children. That's not always easy, is it? Not just on Sundays but every day of the week so that it becomes our lifestyle and we live it day by day, minute by minute as we breathe and move. As Christians, our family has to see that integrity, honesty, love, kindness, faithfulness, dedication, perseverance, faith and hope are an extension of who we are in Christ. In him we live, breathe, move and have our being. In my life, after I became a believer at age 23, most of my decisions, I regret to say not all of them, have been motivated and determined by my love for God and my desire to serve him. And I believe there are many in this room who can say the same thing and declare that Christ is the reason for their decisions. And their one overriding desire is to serve him and obey his word. Statistics show that children who have parents who live their faith from day to day without apology or compromise and express it in love 
are most likely to follow in their parents' footsteps and become men and women of faith. If the parents, one or both, only go to church but do not live it during the week, the children are very likely to fall away from faith and abandon a life of faith. To them, Christianity is only a program. And when the program ends, Sunday school, young adults, church teams, sometimes between the age of 15 to 20, then their commitment ends. And when they have an opportunity, they stop going to church and walk away. Jesus is more concerned about us as a person than our performance. Uh, men, would you please read 2 Corinthians 3, 6. And ladies, James 2.13. We need to extend grace and mercy rather than legalism and condemnation. We can only do this by God's grace through the power of the Spirit. The church is a body of imperfect believers being perfected who serve a perfect God. God's word is very direct about how we should treat others. Men, would you read Galatians 6, 9, and 10? Ladies, Romans twelve eighteen. Men, James four eleven, please. And ladies, Second Timothy three two. Our mission statement, love God, love others, serve the world, as you notice, it flows from the top down. So first and foremost, we have to love God. Then we can effectively love others, and then we can effectively serve the world. And as we do that, then the glory goes to God and not to man. 
As believers, we also need to be careful who we allow to speak into our lives. Yes, we are to love the family of believers and to live godly lives before the world. But God also gives us clear guidelines on how to protect ourselves and how to help us grow. And I'd just like to look at a couple of the verses that bring that out very clearly. Uh, men, would you please read 1 Corinthians 15.33. Ladies, Proverbs 12, 26. Men, Proverbs 18, 24. Ladies, Proverbs 22, 24, and 25. And men, Proverbs 18.21. So the Bible tells us very clearly that we need to choose our friends carefully and watch the words that we speak. Jesus had 12 disciples who went with him for three years, yet even he had his inner circle. And who were they? Go ahead. His John, Peter, and James. Thank you. That was Jesus' inner circle. He took them when special things happened. He took them on the mountain. So he had his inner circle. Above all else, though, he obeyed his father. He obeyed the word of God. And he was led and empowered by the spirit to show us that that's what we need to do. Our inner circle should include people who will speak truth into our lives in love, who celebrate the things of God with us, who want to see us do well, who will give us wise, godly, and honest counsel and encourage us to follow after God. Sometimes we make the mistake of bringing negative needy people into our inner circle in the hopes that we can change them. But instead, they may start to hinder us or distract us from God's plan. We are compelled as believers to help others if it is possible. But some we do have to keep at arm's length, gently, kindly, but firmly, to protect our vision and We cannot allow them to speak into our lives. Our ministry to the community can probably probably be summed up in one phrase. Love in action. Let the world see, hear, and experience God's love in action through us. And let's read this one together, 1 Peter 2, 11 and 12. Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles 
to abstain from sinful desires, which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the unbelievers that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. In the past, we've had the opportunity to go out with the church and with the youth to impact and serve our community. And we've had opportunities to share God's love verbally and with actions. Through this, I've come to realize that basically everyone you come in contact with is dealing with stuff or challenges that they are going through. Many are looking for answers in different places, but not many know the truth of God's love and his plan for their lives. Many have never heard the true gospel, and even though some may have heard distorted portions of it, Jesus is the answer, and it's our responsibility to present God's truth to as many as we can in word and in deeds. It is the gospel that is the power of God unto salvation. He will do the rest. We just need to be obedient and follow the leading of his spirit. Some obstacles that I think we need to overcome, and I'm just going to kind of sum it up with a few of these things that we have to overcome and then how we can walk in victory. Selfishness is a huge barrier, and we have to fight it with generosity. We have to learn to think of others more highly than ourselves. The fear of man is also a big hurdle. Jesus says he has not given us a spirit of fear. So we need to overcome fear with love, power, and a sound, renewed mind. The distractions of the world are many. And in this generation, our young people have many more distractions than I ever had. When I was growing up, I think TV was just being invented. Never heard of the computer. We got our first black and white TV. I think I was 17. So, you know, things have changed. Nowadays, children have so many distractions around them. They always try to take us away from our time with God. They may seem harmless, but they rob our precious time. And the enemy uses ground warfare, I use that term, around us to keep us busy and occupied. These minor skirmishes cause us to use up energy and resources that should be better spent. Don't focus on them, but always keep your vision on the big picture, the vision that God has given you for your life. We sometimes use improper weapons, carnal weapons like the world has, rather than the mighty weapons, spiritual weapons that we have at our disposal. Our weapons in the spirit are so powerful that we can tear down strongholds of the enemy. Sadly, however, we often resort to the same weapons that the world uses or even inferior weapons. For example, bickering, Swearing, cursing, accusations, slander, dishonesty, gossip, spreading dissension, 
lying, getting even, exaggeration, mocking, ridicule, sarcasm, get them before they get us. The list goes on and on. Don't allow circumstances to control you. They should never dictate who you are and what you do. You are who God says you are. And um, I remember a saying I saw on the back of a truck. And I'm trying to find where I have that here. It said, I'm getting old. My truck is getting old. We're not as fast as we used to be. Please be patient with us. We need a lot of grace. God's not finished with us yet. Have a nice day. And I I just modified it a bit. And I I told Carmen, I want to get that on a magnet. I want to put it in the back of my truck. Because God is not finished with us yet. And we have to remember, what's important is what God says about us. He says, you're a born-again child of the Most High God, blood-bought, redeemed, empowered, spirit-filled, devil-chasing, mountain-moving warrior. That's who you are. Please remember that. Don't ever forget it. Sometimes in our lives, we have to overcome legalism. Living by the letter of the law rather than by the spirit. And the word says, living by the letter is death. Living by the spirit gives life. This can result in performance-driven believers rather than spirit-led believers. Another big obstacle is just plain and simple unbelief. We know God's word. We can even quote it. But do we believe it? Because we don't act on it. The Bible says faith without actions is dead. So when we hear God's word, we need to act on it. And then it becomes alive in us. Finally, just to sum it all up, to mention a few things, how we can live and walk in victory. We need to walk by faith, not by sight. That means not using our five senses. They are necessary in this world to relate. But we walk by faith. As we walk, we must love God, love others, and serve the world in Jesus' name. That's all part of our Christian walk. We should not be afraid to be a friend of unbelievers. Jesus was called a friend of sinners, so we're in good company. Always protect your integrity, your heart, and your inner circle. Choose your inner circle or your close friends carefully and wisely. Don't allow the enemy to speak into your life through well-intentioned individuals, but rather seek counsel from the Lord and trustworthy, godly people. Satan is always trying to interfere, so don't let him. Ladies, would you read 1 Peter 5, 8? And men, Ephesians 4.27. 
Okay, well, thanks for going ahead. That's good. And we use the authority of Jesus' name, and we speak to the mountain in our life. What is your mountain? It could be sickness. It could be disease. It could be depression, rejection, loneliness. Whatever your mountain is, the name of Jesus is above that. And we need to speak to that mountain and command it to go. And then believe that it shall be done, as we have said. We need to be bold, yet gentle, loving, yet firm. Speak the truth in love. Be like an iron fist in a velvet glove. We need to make godly declarations over our family and speak life to them. And to those that God brings across our path. Declare the promises of God over your family, your home, your place of work, your church, your ministry, your community, wherever you are. We need to declare God's promises because they are true and they are powerful. I'd like to call the worship team up. And as the worship team comes up to lead us in a final song, I would like to invite you to come up to the altar. We have a prayer team prepared to pray with you and agree with you. And we can command your mountain to move. Jesus said, you have not because you ask not. So let's be bold and ask God, what is your need today? Ask God boldly and believe that he will answer. I would be neglect if I didn't use this opportunity to invite anyone who has never made a commitment to Christ to also come forward. Perhaps the Spirit of God has spoken to you this morning. And you don't even understand it all, but God has been tugging at your heart. Don't put it off. Listen to the Spirit and allow us to help you start a new life. If you just want to spend time in God's presence and say, here I am, Lord, use me. There's room at the altar. Whatever your need is, in Jesus' name, because the name of Jesus is above every name, And the truth of Christ will set you free. So while we sing this last worship song, please come up and meet with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Thanks for listening online with us. We trust you were encouraged and challenged by today's message. If you have a prayer request or an encouraging story about what God has been doing in your life, please email us at amen at wcmc.ca. God bless.